Hi, this is Christy, and you are listening to Conversations to Connect. This is episode 46, where we will be getting real about breathwork and the Breathe to Heal system. Very excited today to be joined by Max Strom, my teacher, who is a three times TEDx speaker, author, and global breathing teacher, known for teaching breathing patterns for personal transformation worldwide. Welcome, Max. Hello, Christy. It's very nice to be in your presence again. Yes, so happy to have you. And even more excited to announce that Max will be making his way back to the States here very soon. And we are hosting him for a week-long Breathe to Heal facilitator training at the beautiful Rabkin Japanese Gardens close to here in Pittsburgh, Tarenum, PA, for an entire week of breathing and sitting by the pond watching the koi fish. So we're looking forward to that. And I invited Max so he could talk to us a little bit about what is this Breathe to Heal system and how did it come to be? I know that when you first started your career, you were teaching yoga. And when I learned from you, you sort of switched your language to say, I teach breathing with that is sometimes accompanied by postures. So thinking about the Breathe to Heal system, my understanding of it is that breath work is something that we can easily access maybe to help focus. Well, well, there are a couple of things that that cause that change. One of them is the tremendous spike of anxiety, you know, post-traumatic stress in our society. I won't even say the United States, but worldwide, particularly in first world countries. And uh, of course, since then, it's gotten much, much worse. That was part of it. So I wanted to have a system that anyone could adopt quite easily uh, that doesn't require flexibility, for example, or even for special clothing, doesn't even really require a mat. And so it's really for everybody and anybody who's suffering from high levels of stress or anxiety or even depression. And the other part of it was I just found that the yoga world is very lopsided in some ways. So for example, positively speaking, it has great benefits for the body and particularly the muscles. And people who practice yoga, we tend to sleep better. We tend to feel better in our body and uh, suffer less from aches and pains and the chronic pain that a lot of people when they get older, arthritis, things like that don't seem to affect us as much. So there are amazing benefits to yoga, but in terms of a teaching, you know, yoga is often presented as body, mind, spirit, but when you go to a class, it's really body, body, body. There's no mind and there's no spirit. Or if there is spirit, it's more of a slightly um, pop Hinduish teaching, or it's it's a Hindu teaching that's quite dogmatic. Uh, there's almost no psychology in the yoga world. Which shocks me because the psychological benefits are so great when you have that. And it's almost yes. like in our day and age, it's it has to be fast paced. These thousands of year old traditions are kind of bypassed by people who want to have the most followers on Instagram or yeah. have their own way of doing things. And learning from you, you just really simplify the language and the message. Yes. And I think that that's so important. Thank you. I work very hard on my communication skills. I have a long way to go, but I try to speak in a way that is clear and concise 
I don't try to bathe anything in a mystery because I want somebody to feel better in 10 minutes. So that's generally where I start with them. I say, I'm going to give you a couple of breathing exercises and you'll feel better in 10 minutes. So the yoga world was wanting to me for a psychological element, but I noticed that the breathing work that I was giving people wasn't just helping people to relax more in that day, but it seemed to be affecting uh, how much they were suffering from anxiety as well. We started seeing people who had chronic anxiety have this alleviated so it wasn't really a bit a big or as big a part of their life anymore. So I started doing more and more research and more and more experimentation and innovation and ultimately created what I call the breathe to heal system now, breathe to heal. I'm trying to spit out. And the breathe to heal system again is, is not difficult. And a lot of it is just things that we have never been taught. Now, someone just asked me today, how would I explain how it's different? And I, I would put it this way. There are, are a lot of books and speakers and researchers on the subject of grief. Equally, there is many or more on the subject of anxiety. And now recently, there are more books on breath work and talks on breath work. I think what's unique about my work is that it combines the three as one subject. Uh, the way I see it, it's all one subject. They're not separate. And so you could also add loneliness into that because if someone is lonely and particularly alienated, if they feel alienated, they will develop anxiety. And so that's And coming off connection. of two years of alienation and loneliness, yes. now yes. is the time where even more people that weren't, yes. uh, may not have been susceptible to it before yes. recognizing something's wrong and I don't feel right. And I don't know what to do to help alleviate that. Yeah, it reminds me of eating sugar because you can really crave sugar over all other foods. But after you eat it, the more you eat, the worse you feel. You can still feel very hungry in a strange way, this aching. And it's almost like we're starving to death as we eat. And I see society is like that now where we're all basically starving to death and we don't understand what's going on. And we're gaining weight you know, physical weight, but our spirit is starving to death. This has to do partly with the isolation and the loneliness, but as certainly you know, anxiety is based primarily in post-traumatic stress, meaning it's from the past, something we're carrying with us from an event or a series of events or a, a time that was a crisis to us or traumatic to us. And from what I've learned, most people don't think that there's any cure for this. They think, if I have anxiety, I always have anxiety. I will always have anxiety. Like a virus, like herpes. They think, I, I will always have it now. <laughs> and uh, they're quite shocked to hear that, well, actually, you know, you can do some things that are not pharmaceutical, like breath work and some other things, where you won't suffer from anxiety any anymore or 90 percent less right and never well, and that heard. idea of not living in the present i think that people the buzzword right now is times of uncertainty guess what we've always been in times of uncertainty we just had the illusion that right. things were always going to be a certain way that's and right. so when you're not living in the right now that's where all of that anxiety can stem from and that's right and we hear a lot of 
just give me the pill. What is That's it? Gonna, what is it going to take? It can't be that simple. But in working with first responders in particular, it's I can't meditate. I can't do yoga. Take those off the table. And so that's why I'm very excited to be talking with you now about the benefits of breath work, because it can be that simple. You don't need to go into a class where you feel uncomfortable or move your body in a way that doesn't feel good. No. And you feel the benefits right away. And then there's an accumulative effect. A lot of times when people hear this, I imagine people listening right now will be thinking a couple of questions will be popping into their mind. Number one is they're going to say, what in the world does oxygen have to do with my emotions? Breathing, it doesn't make sense, they say. But my answer is really very little. It's not the oxygen part of breathing that affects you emotionally. For example, if you were really upset, uh, let's say you were going through um, a crisis and you went to your therapist and you sat down in the therapist's office and they put on an oxygen mask you're not going to start feeling better emotionally, maybe ever so slightly if you're oxygen deprived, but the oxygen is not what makes you relieved from these things like anxiety and stress and so on. So then think people are really confused to say, but isn't that what the lungs do? They bring in oxygen, expel CO2. Yes, that's the primary thing they do. What's the secondary function of the lungs? The secondary function is as uh, the engine for our communication we use air from our lungs to go through our voice box to express our emotions and also words and ideas. But I mean, if you look at a two or three or four year old, you can really just hear their emotions coming out of their voice box all the time. We actually have to unlearn to do that. <laughs> Otherwise we would be doing the same. And as I like to point out, the very first thing that we all did when we were born, providing we had a normal birth, is we um, inhaled and then we started crying as we breathed our first breaths. And that is not learned behavior, that's genetically encoded behavior. And we're calling out for help, for comfort, for an adult, preferably our mom, to come to us and look out for us. But unfortunately, we become socialized, as you know, as we become adults, we're socialized to do the opposite, where if you feel like crying, don't show it. Don't don't let anybody hear you cry. Step into another room and cry privately because mm -hmm. then it's considered a sign of weakness as opposed to, wait a second. people around you uncomfortable. Uncomfortable <laughs> because they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. And so there's this, this lack of any kind of education in our culture. And so we isolate ourselves rather than grieve together. Christy, I, you've been to several of my events, and when I did the Breathe, excuse me, not the Breathe the Heal event, it was the Breathe the Heal workshop within an event called the Inner Peace Conference mm -hmm. in Amsterdam. So this was done in a, in a really big church that they rented out, and uh, we had about 500 people. And I asked for a show of hands. I tell people this all the time. I know where you're going, and I'm happy that you're going there. Go ahead. <laughs> I say, please raise your hand if you learned at some point in your life the skill of CPR. And over here in Europe, they call it heart massage or other terms. They don't know CPR, but I asked that question and about 70% of the hands went up. And depending where I'm going, sometimes it's more. And so 
I said, please look around, you know, front row, look back. You can see 70% of us know what to do. Okay, arms down. Then I ask, raise your hand if when you were a child or a young adult, you were taught how to deal with your own grief or the grief of others. And in this room of 500 people, no arm went up, not a single hand. Once again, I had them look around so they could see that. And then my conclusion was, of course, if someone's heart stops, we know what to do. And if someone's heart breaks, we have no idea. And to further expand on that, any emotion, anger, frustration, loneliness, fear, like nothing, that is not taught at all. And um, circling it back to my work with the first responders, I know that you had said over in the Netherlands, I think that um, the SEALs have used breath work and yoga or soldiers, and we're starting to bring this. Yeah, special forces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Why is that? Well, it's because it works, and, and they're really the litmus test because special forces do not use things that don't work. They don't use equipment and they don't use techniques that don't work. They use things that work really well because their lives depend on it and their productivity and their performance depends on it. So they have now learned, they've been convinced that uh, certain breathing techniques help, for example, to calm themselves before going into a a hot zone, let's say, you know, whether they're jumping out of a plane at night with a parachute or anything like that, that's scary. Or even some fighter pilots that I've talked to or bombers it's scary for them. They know as soon as they get over a hot zone, there are going to be missiles fired at them. Well, and like you said, it's cumulative. So running into a burning building, if you've already done this work, your mind is in a different mindset. So you learn some breathing exercises so that you don't get too amped. You know, you can keep your heart rate a little bit lower. Your blood pressure shouldn't go too high. Then you go do your work in this emergency situation whether it's first responders or the military or a really important meeting at your office. And then afterward, then you do a different breathing exercise to calm you down and recenter yourself. So you're not, you don't feel emotionally wasted the rest of the day. Now these are very practical, get things done sort of reasons. But I also like to emphasize that once you start doing breath work every day, whether there's there's an emergency or not, People like being around you more. Mm-hmm. People, people are more comfortable. Like a parent, you're a parent, you're a partner, you're a friend, you're a coworker. Yes. Like you show up differently. That's right. Is there a little science behind it? Because I remember in one of your trainings, you had talked about smokers who believe that their uh, cigarettes help them to calm down, but that it's really that inhale and the pause and the slower <laughs> exhale that is doing the calming because nicotine is just amping up your system. Yeah. I I don't know if there's a study done on this. I doubt it, but I I just pointed out that the way smokers breathe is actually a very nice breathing practice because they take in about a three second inhale and then they pause for a couple of seconds and then they do a very relaxing sort of long exhale. And I, I say that is amazing. Just do it without the cigarette. And right. do it for seven minutes, which is about how long a cigarette takes to smoke. So if you did that for seven minutes every couple of hours, you would be a different person. Oh, yeah. And in a minute, we're going to have an opportunity with you to practice a breathing technique and a guided visualization. And before we get to that, though, if somebody's considering coming to this training, seven days, 
wow, what am I going to get out of that? Because I feel like it's twofold. It's a facilitator training. So you're learning how to work with whether it's a therapy practice, a nurse, a yoga instructor. If you're in the helping profession, this is going to be definitely beneficial, but you get to experience it. On my flight to Amsterdam, when I was coming to my yoga training, I thought, oh, I can't wait to see all the things that I'll learn and I can bring back to this group or this group. And I had this thought come over me, like, heal your damn self. (laughs) And that's what I did. I showed up and I was like, I'm just going to experience it. And I think that that is a gift that people are so overwhelmed right now, especially with getting back into the world. And I feel like it's truly a gift to take some time to heal yourself with everything that we've gone through over the past two years. That's exactly right, Christy. And what someone could expect is, first of all, as you just said, that the the work that we're going to do every day will very heavily affect them in a very positive way. Because breath penetrates, breath invigorates, and breath heals. So the breath work will access anything that you've buried in your chest over the last couple of decades that is unresolved, unexpressed, unfelt, and it brings it all to the surface. And of course, we have fear of, about that. We fear that. But the irony is that once it happens, it's the most healing thing that can occur in our, in our life, I believe, or one of the most highly healing events we can possibly have. So that's part of what someone will experience. Before you finish the last one, I remember in our training that there was one person in particular last day, extreme release of emotions, almost like, is this person going to be okay? And you're so apt at being like, no, this happens. I still get chills thinking about seeing her afterwards and just how light and joyful and playful. And it was like, oh my gosh, all of this stuff has just built up and just needed to come out. And then it's, it's like a cleansing. It is. It's a, and that's where the word cathartic comes in. It's a, it's a cleansing, a purging, a, a release. I think cathartic, if I, if I'm going to say it right, has a similar definition as purge, but purge is neutral. It can be negative or positive or neutral, but a cathartic purge basically means it has a healing effect at the end of it, a transformative effect at the end of it. Yes, she really, really had a release, and it was astonishing to see how much it affected her and everybody around her in a very meaningful way. So so we talked about the personal experience that you'll have in the training, but then the training is designed for, for therapists who want to incorporate some of these tools into their work for doctors, for coaches and for yoga teachers to take these tools and utilize them because people need our help. And this, you know, we're not therapists. You're a therapist. And if there will be a few people who are therapists, but what I'm saying is I'm not training people to be therapists, but I'm giving tools which are immediate, highly impactful, and not that well known. So I like to use the analogy of the difference between an ambulance driver and a surgeon. An ambulance driver does not have the same knowledge as a surgeon, and they aren't going to do surgery on you. But they save lives every day, and then they take you to the surgeon. So that's what I like to say. You know, we we help people to connect internally, so that sometimes they can identify the heart of their primary wound 
and alleviate all the emotion around it and then perhaps go through a process of integrating that or forgiving that. But I'm also constantly advising people to go into therapy. I'm a big believer in therapy. The two together are extraordinary. And as you know, that's why a lot of therapists are now starting to use breath work to start the therapy session off. I have this one therapist that has worked with me and her specialty is a very unique one. I think I told you about her before where she specialized in working with people who have been tortured. So when you hear about these extreme cases where someone's been locked in a dungeon under somebody's house in their basement for the last 20 years, and then that person is released, they would send them to her or someone like her. And uh, she's retired from that now, but when I met her, she was still doing it. And she told me once she started utilizing the breath work that I taught her, she said, what used to take me four sessions now takes me one. Mm-hmm. It it enhanced and accelerated the process of therapy. Mm-hmm. And when people ask, well, how is that? And it's it's simple. You're able to contact the emotions and memories that you're sitting on and perhaps you've forgotten or blocked out. It can bring them all up and then you're in the right environment with your therapist to process those events. Oh, I use it all the time. In my practice, I am lucky enough to have a yoga studio as well. So I will move with clients in and out of the therapy office and the yoga studio. And sometimes we'll do some standing breath work. Sometimes we'll do some seating breath work, but it really is just giving that person permission to take care of themselves in that moment and to shut off everything else. Cause it's easy to come into a therapy session and like, especially, well, we're on zoom now. So even more so distractions are happening or somebody's running in from the outside world. And if as a therapist, you don't take the time to ground both yourself in between whatever it was you're doing to this session and the client as well, um, you're missing a tremendous opportunity to go deeper and being in a holistic practice. I think that that lends to people coming in and saying, Hey, I tried other therapy and it was just a bunch of talk. And I'm not seeing the results that I want. And this is a fantastic opportunity because it's a 40 hour training. Like you will be a facilitator of breath work. And that's That's just an incredible gift to not just yourself, but your clients. Thank you. Yes. And uh, I also help them with a line of questioning, an algorithm of questioning people while you're working with them with their breath, because it might shock people to know how many of us are completely unaware of the source of our anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's really astonishing to me. Really smart, smart people. CEOs, I work with a lot of CEOs one to one. They come to me to, for one on one sessions. And most of them have panic attacks and most of them have no idea why. No idea. And not working so, 23 hours, not eating and running on pure cash. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. And so just figuring out what the cause is, is revelatory for people. It's really the beginning of healing just to identify, oh, that's where all this came from. And then um, to release the emotion around that event or events through breath work. Now they have something to work with. I want to touch on one more topic before we lead into our, our practice here. Sleep. 
what can uh, that's another big thing that people come in with i i'm not sleeping i have trouble falling asleep i have trouble sit, staying asleep and i know that when i when i go through trainings or i practice more breath work i notice that that is a happy side effect of yes. really getting releasing some of that and the first responders nurses people who work shifts your sleep patterns can be all over the place so how yes. does breath work impact our ability to have more sound sleep. Well, breath work does definitely help a person to to fall asleep. There is a breathing exercise which I'd like to do with you in a couple of minutes called the 478. Those are three numbers, 478 that indicate a pattern that we breathe and if you do that for 2 to 4 minutes, generally it'll help you nod off and fall asleep. Now, if you're drinking six shot latte several times a day and a few red bulls and uh, and uh, have a cocaine habit it might not help you right. there, I mean, there are other things we have to you do have as to well look at all the factors you sure. have to look at all the factors but it does it's known it's famous for being helpful to fall asleep or to relax somewhat during the day for example if you do it in your office you're not likely to fall asleep it'll just clear your mind really nicely and your nervous system I'll tell so, you what, Mac, uh, anytime yeah. I've had a problem falling asleep or if I wake up and I'm trying to get back to sleep, I think it's not going to work this time. And every time it is literally less than five minutes. And my mom, it wasn't that long ago, she was having some problems sleeping. And she said, you know, I went into the other room and I sat and I actually fell asleep because I tried that four, seven, eight. And can you believe it worked? And I'm like, what? I've been telling you this for years. This is not. <laughs> you can't hear it from your own children. No, no, no. But people just seem astonished. Like really just something that simple. And yes, mm. so I encourage people to try it and I'm glad we're going to have an opportunity to practice. Yeah, I'm happy to do it. So one of the factors, as I said, that we spend a lot of time with is breath work, certain exercises, how to teach others, how to do them yourself, of course. And also, um, how to talk to someone when you're in a crisis. For example, if it's your crisis, how to reach out. And then if it's someone else that's in a crisis, someone that you love or like a lot, if you are close to, how you can better create an environment for them where they feel um, seen and cared for and safe. So they're not ashamed of their wound. Uh, they, they know that they won't be left or thought less of to share something with you. And we're not left in that awkward space that we mentioned earlier, where we don't know what to say or do. And so we can make things worse by trying to make them laugh or trying to encourage them in ways that really make them angry. Uh, I'll give you an example of if you have a friend whose child has died, it does not make them feel better to say, you're still young, you can have more children. Uh, they have to go through a grieving process, which also involves anger for, you know, you get angry that you've lost this precious being from your life. And so I find that most people don't know what to say or do. And so my new book and the facilitator training cover this quite intently. I don't portray myself as an expert on how to express emotions. I'm an expert on how not to portray emotions, how not to express them. 
because I was brought up by two parents who uh, were mute basically when it came to their feelings, particularly grief and anger. And so I've had to relearn uh, over the years and especially the last 10 years of my life so that I could uh, allow myself to be vulnerable and express these emotions quite a bit more openly. And it's changed my life in incalculable ways. I used to think that being vulnerable and expressing emotions was the end of all good things. It was just the enemy. And now I'm really convinced of the opposite, that almost all the best things in life come from the ability to be voluntarily vulnerable when you want to or need to be. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of courage to be vulnerable. Yeah, vol voluntary vulnerability is another way of saying courage. It means exactly the same thing. It means taking action even though you, you, maybe you'd rather not or you're, you're a little scared or you're very scared, but you do it anyway. And the silver lining of crisis is that it brings us much closer together, whether it's a national crisis, other than a, uh, other than a virus, of course, or a personal crisis. This is how we really bond with each other, by being there for each other. So as I like to say, uh, it's not that difficult to learn. And in fact, I think it's much easier than the Dutch language, which I'm currently trying to learn over here. Good luck. Now, that's hard. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy that you brought that point up because these things can be learned. It's not a, I'm not used to that. This is different. I, my upbringing wasn't that like at any point in your life, you can really hone in on learning these skills and you and the people around you will be for the better if you do. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Because what are we doing it all for anyway? Everybody when it comes down to it, we'll, we'll have love at least one of the top two or three priorities in their life. Well, the more you can open up to the people that you love and talk with them so they really know what you think and feel, the closer you get. So it's a way of enhancing intimacy and connection. Mm -hmm. so it's going a couple of levels deeper by learning these things. So it's not only breathing, it's certainly not only about oxygen, <laughs> and it's one of the tools, breath work, connection, communication, all together are um, powerful, mm -hmm. powerful to contend with. Absolutely. And I have to laugh thinking about oftentimes in therapy, people will say, well, what's it all for? I wake up, I go to work, I come back, I have this routine. When we learn to really live in the moment, we pick up on all the beauty that life has to offer. We were gifted this human experience. And I recently uh, was watching a comedian who said, you get to have this human experience. Are you going to spend it scrolling through Facebook? The antelope is not saying the water is dry, LOL. It's <laughs> really... <laughs> So, you know, you, and you have a book, there is no app for happiness to, and now you have an app, which I think is even better, but it's a breathwork app, but it's a breathwork app. Right? It's, it's so important to say, let's use these tools for our benefit and let's yes. really live our life with meaning and purpose the yes. way, you know, we are meant to enjoy things. So exactly, exactly. So exactly. So that's, we're really blessed to live in a time with so much technology that can, for example, save our lives in a hospital surgical situation. But we have to be careful not to overuse things that give us the illusion that we're connecting more, which is social media, when actually we're connecting less. 
Well, I thank you so much for being here. And I know we're going to do a practice and I don't want to interrupt what will be going on for some people following this practice by talking. So I'm going to thank you now and ask if you have any final thoughts. Uh, no, I, I think that we've covered everything. And I would just like to finish by leading this two minute breathing exercise. And you can do it with the eyes open or closed. But of course, if you're in a car, you probably should pull over to do the exercise. You should not do this while driving. I repeat, do not do it while driving. Green lights and red lights will look pretty much the same. Well, I'm going to mute myself here and close my eyes. So I'm looking okay, forward to Okay, Christy. Thank you for inviting me here with you. Thank you so much, Max. And I'll see you here in Pittsburgh very soon. Yes, indeed. So my friends, this exercise is really simple and I'm going to explain it as concisely as I can. First of all, the style of breathing you can do is up to you. If you're a yoga person and you want to do your ujjayi breathing or ocean breathing, just use that. But let's say you don't know a darn thing about breathing. You can do what uh, I call sniff and blow. You, you sniff through the nose as you inhale and you purse your lips like you're blowing out candles on a cake for your breath out. Um, somebody said the other day, oh, it's like eating soup. You inhale and see if you like the soup, and then you cool it with your breath. I said, yeah, but I don't think I'm going to call it soup breath. But you have the right idea. You have the right idea. So um, you can do this from a sitting position with a straight back, not slumped against a couch. You can do it also lying down flat on the floor or in bed. We're going to inhale into the sides of the rib cage. So everybody who's going to do this right now, you should put your hands on your side ribs, your lower side ribs, because we're going to draw the breath into the lower lungs. Check your hands, look down at them and make sure they're not on the front ribs, but they're on the sides where the seam of your shirt is. Now, to prepare, breathe in now as long as you can, and it'll probably just be two or three seconds like this. Make your chest big the back of the chest as well. And then purse your lips and exhale it out slowly. So that's the style of breathing we're doing. We're making the chest big and then contracting the chest on the exhale. Again, whether you breathe through the nose or mouth doesn't matter in terms of the effectiveness of this particular breathing exercise. So now keep breathing while I'm talking. And we're going to inhale to the count of four in a moment. And I'll set the speed for you in just a second. Then we'll hold our breath for the count of seven. And then we'll exhale to the count of eight. I'll repeat that. We inhale to the count of four, pause, and hold our breath to the count of seven. And then our exhale lasts eight beats. This is about the speed that we're going to use as our count, our metric. So when I say we're going to inhale to the count of four, now you have an idea of the speed, how fast to inhale. So if you want to keep your hands on your side ribs, that's a good idea if you have room to do that. And to prepare, quick exhale. Now inhale to the count of four. One, two, three, 
four pause two three four five six seven breathe out eight counts two three four five six seven eight inhale four one two deeper side ribs four hold your breath as you hold your breath relax inside six seven out one two three four five six empty your lungs eight inhale four two three bigger four hold your breath and relax your shoulders three four five six seven out two three four five six seven eight in one two side ribs four hold your breath relax your shoulders and your face three four five six seven exhale one two three four five six seven eight inhale one two three four pause two three four five six seven out one two three four five six seven eight deep breath in relax it out deep breath in relax it out keep your eyes closed and breathe any way you want now as you listen to my voice breathe as you like I'm going to lead you through a three-minute visualization to complete this practice. Imagine that sitting in front of you only about a meter or so away, or let's say three or four feet away, is an adult person from your life that you feel tremendous gratitude for. Don't go through your whole Rolodex of everybody you know. Just pick the first person who pops into your mind, and only one. Now, you've chosen them. There they are, sitting in front of you, looking at you with affection and respect. Keep breathing. This is someone who perhaps taught you the meaning of love or was a mentor to you or believed in you when no one else did, for example. Whatever it was, radiate your gratitude from your heart center to this person who's done so much for you. And keep breathing as you do this. Radiate, envelop this person with an ocean of gratitude around them. As if this were your last opportunity to do so. Look at the face of this special person. And you can see that they're touched by your emotion. They're, they're moved by it. So with great respect, and very carefully, this person reaches toward you and touches you on your shoulder, simply to get closer to you and look in your eyes as if to say, we will always be connected, you and I. Keep breathing as you experience this.
Now keep this feeling and notice this feeling of gratitude humbles us. It's very humbling and it fills our chest, it fills our heart center, and it feels somewhat like love and somewhat like forgiveness. Allow the image of this person to dissolve, but keep the feeling in your heart. And when you're ready, open your eyes.